hello, 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 and God bless you. Thank you for being a part of Bible Study Live. Thank you for liking, commenting, and sharing. We appreciate you for logging in, tuning in, and being a part of what we're doing here, studying the Word of God together, going over Sunday sermons. It's a blessing for us to go in depth and get more meat from the Word. Let's take a moment and let's bow our heads, and then we'll go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, we appreciate you, we honor you. We thank you for all that you are, all that you mean, all that you are doing in our lives. God, we ask that you illuminate the study. God, give me clarity of thought as I teach. Give the listeners clarity of thought as they hear and as they listen. Give us something that uh, goes beyond what we learned on Sunday morning. Give us something deeper and help us to come out with a greater appreciation of your word on tonight. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, once of all, uh, once again, excuse me, we are grateful for you being here and tuning in. So we're going to do a little bit of recap. Uh, I have started a series. I didn't know it was a series at first, but I have felt to kind of continue it. So it started off with the path forward. And uh, what we were talking about when we talked about the path forward is mainly the journey ahead as it relates to uh, a new year and the expectation of the new year. But we also talk about the fact that since we walk by faith and not by sight, there's a certain level of uncertainty that comes with trying to journey forward and move forward. And so we tackle that question of the duality between expectation versus uncertainty. And what we did is we left you with certain assurances, even though we can't assure everything about your path because it is uncertain, we left you with certain assurances, and here are the assurances. Uh, A, when your path is dark, he will be your light. B, when your path is confusing, he will be your peace. C, when your path is hard, he will be your comfort. And then D, when your path is weak, he will be your strength. And so we worked through and tracked through those on last week. So Sunday, this past Sunday, we went from the path forward to the path inward. And so we're going to look at what it means to go inward, to deal with your inner self. And so we're, we understand that uh, forward is important, but sometimes inward is very important as well, dealing with your inner self. So uh, once again, we have that expectation versus uncertainty that duality. And we gave a definition again of uncertain, and it was not able to be relied on, not known or definitive. So when we say uncertain, we're saying that, yes, we're walking by faith. We don't see everything. So there are some things that are not definite. We're trying to believe them. And so that's why we gave you assurances on last week. But sometimes things just seem cloudy, unsure, uncertain. One of the biggest fears is the fear of the unknown, and sometimes that keeps people stuck. And I don't want to pastor a stuck, stagnant people. We talked about that with the what else sermon, where we, we actually want to see what God is expecting out of us. And so we're willing and ready to move forward. We are desiring to move forward. But with that understanding that we are going to move forward, then we do understand that we're going to face some uncertainty. And it's okay. That's part of living the life of faith. So everything does not have to, and let's go back to it, everything does not have to be definite. 
Everything doesn't have to be able to be relied upon. We are trusting in God. And so last week, when we talked about the path forward, we really centered in trusting in God. So with that trust and still having to deal with uncertainty, then one of the key things you can do is go inward. All right. So with that being said, let's give you this thing. Another major way to deal with uncertainty in a path is to go inward. So when you don't know what to do, you can't see, you need to work with what you have on the inside. So an example was yesterday, uh, as I was driving to work, it was uncharacteristically foggy, foggier than what I had expected, foggier than what it was when I left my driveway. When I got on the road, it was foggy, and I was like, wow. So what I did was I looked inside. There are certain things on my car, certain high beams that are there just for the fog, for when that happens. I couldn't look on the outside for it. I had to look on the inside. I could only really control the inside. Couldn't control the fog on the outside, but I could control what was happening on the inside, and it was within my reach, within my fingertips. And so many times what you need is already within your reach. It's already close to you. The scripture says the word of God is nigh you, it's in your mouth. It's the word of faith which we preach. And uh, the the previous scripture says you don't have to go to uh, the the heights to bring Christ down from, from the heights. You don't have to descend to the depth to bring Christ up from the depth. What does the word say? It says it's nigh you, it's near you, it's in your mouth. It's the word of faith that we preach. Same uh, scenario, same idea that you have what you need on the inside and when Christ comes in and you accept him in your life and the spirit of God is in, it comes in and it does work there, but it resides there. It dwells there. So many times when the path forward can be murky, uncertain, yes, you have certain assurances, but sometimes you have to just go on the inside and grab what you have on the inside. I gave one example that was not a part of necessarily the lesson, but I gave the example of resting resting in the finished work of Calvary, resting in what God has already done, resting in the word that you've already learned and heard and believed. And sometimes you have to go in and rest. And in order to go in, sometimes you have to shut out outside voices and outside forces, the things that keep reminding you of the uncertainty of, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Sometimes you still are going to have to deal with it, but that doesn't mean you have to deal with it all right now. Sometimes you just need to rest. You just need to go inside, find solace. And one of the things we talked about last week is when, uh, when times are confusing, he will be your peace. And sometimes that peace is an inner peace, not always an outer peace. Sometimes it's an inner peace. So we have to understand and learn the practice of going inward. Meditation helps with that. Uh, quieting yourself, rest, meditation, uh, being still, praying, praying in an unknown tongue, praying in your heavenly language. What I mean by that, speaking in tongues while you pray. There are ways that you can go inward, tap on the inside, and that's going to be very necessary for your path ahead, for the journey ahead. All right, so we're going to give you four reasons to go inward. Uh, I just gave you two that were not uh, a part of the 
the lesson. Uh, I brought one of them up on Sunday. One was in order to rest. Uh, the second, what I just said today, uh, in order to meditate. Those are, are reasons to go inward so that you have that meditation, the peace that you need, the strength. Actually, everything we talked about last week can be found also on the inside. When uh, the path is dark, he will be your light. Well, he, he lights us from the inside out. Uh, the path is confusing. He'll be your peace. You have inner peace. Path is um, uh, weak. You'll be your strength. You have inner strength. And there's there's one that I'm, I'm forgetting here that we talked about last week, but but you get the point. But you can reach on the inside to grab those things. All right, so here's four reasons to go inward. So number one, when you go inward, you aren't retreating, you are replenishing. So the reason to go inward, first of all, we're knowing, and we said this on every one of the points, is that this is not a retreat. This is not you backsliding or running away from challenges. You're not retreating. You're actually replenishing. So the first reason to go inward is for the sake of replenishing. And so we, we need to look and see what that means. So the definition of replenish is to fill something up again, restore or restock supply to a former, former level or condition. So to restock, to restore, to supply to a former level or condition. So here's something to remember and to understand that when we showed up here, and I say it a lot, when we showed up here, we show up here, uh, unless you were Adam and Eve, you showed up here after the fall of man. So one scripture says we were born in sin, shaped in iniquity. So we show up in our fallen state. However, that is not the first time that we were around. We were in eternity past. We were in the mind of God. We were in the creation of God. We were in the plans of God. We know that by what it was said of Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee and ordained thee a prophet to the nation. In other words, before I even crafted you on the inside, I already had a plan and destiny for you. So it means I already knew you but some scholars believe you knew God, but from coming from heaven to the earth realm, you lose that knowledge. You, you lose that understanding. And a good way to say it, you're drained of all that. So what happens is when you connect to God or reconnect to God, you are restoring, restocking, and you're being supplied with the heavenly things, which is what you were created to be in the first place. So when people go through the conversion, uh, the scripture in Corinthians says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, new to this earth, but not new to heaven because he was already in the mind of God, in the plan of God in heaven. So it's like us uh, reawakening to who we really were. The only problem is we stay in this fallen world. So there is a continual draining that happens just by living life and navigating life through this fallen world. Even though we have the spirit, we're reconnected to God. We have to go through this life and there it, it seems to chip away at us. But we are able to restock and resupply when we understand the power of replenishing and knowing that we can go on the inside to replenish, that that is actually powerful. So 
let's go to Scripture here. Ephesians 5.18 says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And so uh, this is in a long list in that Ephesians 5. And so without the full context, you don't quite understand why it's just jumping right there. But I, I won't give us time to get into that full context, but I'll just start right there that he, he had listed some other things basically not to get into. And then he comes to this and says, don't be drunk with wine, but in other words, be filled with the spirit. But what he's doing, he's making a comparison between what wine does to the body when there is an excess of it and what the spirit of God does when he's allowed, when the person's allowed himself to be filled with the spirit. In other words, the spirit has the ability to take over for you, but you have to be filled with it. You have to allow yourself to be filled with it. In other words, when you're drunk with wine, it takes over and takes control. Well, the spirit of God does the same thing, but it doesn't do it forcefully. It does it only if you would allow it. If you allow it to, it will. And so, Paul, in this writing to the church of Ephesus, he's reminding them that there is a higher way to live. Don't be drunk with wine. And he didn't start there. He started with a bunch of other things and he landed on don't be drunk with wine. But his major point was, but, but be filled with the spirit. In other words, have something on the inside. And if you have that on the inside and it's full and overflowing, then you can always reach on the inside and grab it, use it, utilize it. Many people, when they go to the grocery store, they buy more than what they need, but the extra they put in the freezer and freeze it so that when they need it, they can always go to it and have it. So if you're filled with the spirit and there's a continual filling, you always will be able to go inside and grab from that spiritual place. All right. So let's look here. Needing to be replenished is not always a sign of failure. In fact, it is a part of the original process. So one of the reasons we're saying that the replenishing and the refilling is not retreating because it is not a sign of loss. It is part of the original plan of God before the fall. God always had it in mind that there is a replenishing. There is a consistent filling and infilling. And so there is a sense that even before the fall that you would be giving yourself out so much that you would always need to be in field. So don't look at the state of your spirit when it feels weak or empty as necessarily a negative thing. It's just a thing to remind you to be filled. So I talked about it on Sunday morning on the fact that you, you don't go to a gas station and cry because you don't have gas. No, you're at the place that can fill you up. You just go and fill up. The car shows you, hey, you're low. You have this many miles to empty. This is your distance to empty. It reminds you, and then when you get to the gas station, you just fill up. You don't go and beat the car up because it ran out of gas, because the tank can only hold so much. It's not designed to uh, hold too much. If it had too much in it, it would actually weigh the car down. The car wouldn't be as effective, as efficient. You couldn't go as fast as you need to do. So the tank can only be so large, and it's going to need to be refilled. But it's made that way by design. Another thing to know is that 
uh, gas that is not moving gets stagnant and stale and it's no good. Gasoline doesn't have like a long, long shelf life. In other words, it, it actually needs to be running out and refilled with fresh. Same thing with our spirit. We're not supposed to be resting on our laurels. Well, I got saved when I was five and that's all I need to do. No, you need to have a consistent infilling, refilling, and was made that way by design. And so when you replenish from that, that is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's you just hooking up and connecting to the source that will keep you filled. So in order to prove that to you, I want to go to Scripture. And here is Scripture. This is Genesis one twenty-eight. So this is in the beginning. We're using the King James Version here. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply. This was the initial command that they had. Then it says, And replenish the earth. I'm going to stop there for a second. So the earth was not in a place of failure. It was not in a fallen state. But even in its perfect state, God said it was going to need to be replenished or filled. In other words, I'm creating you, Adam and Eve, but I'm not going to create a bunch of sets of Adam and Eve's. You two are supposed to utilize and be fruitful and multiply, and that will keep the earth filled. But same thing with other things that are happening. The animals, we want the animals to unite and mate so that it would be filled. The animals didn't fight each other and eat each other and kill each other. Humans didn't kill the animals to have food because it was not the fallen world. It wasn't the dog-eat-dog mentality. But still, it needed to be filled and refilled and resupplied. So that was always in the original plan of God, a this infilling and refilling. So let's go and look at it in its broader, uh, larger uh, text. So let's go. Let's start it over. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Many things are taught about uh, that verse and all the things that are talked about. Be fruitful be, and multiply, uh, subdue, dominate. Uh, you have power over the fish of the sea. But a lot of times we miss the replenish part, that the replenish part was already in the plan of God from the beginning. If it was important in the beginning, then it's even more important in the fall because now we have things that are actively trying to drain us actively trying to rob us of what we have. So our consistent filling and refilling is rather important. And uh, there are people who have the mindset of tapping into God every now and then, tapping into God only when I need something. We want to be more disciplined than that. And so we have the, the goal, we connect with our creator continually. This is a way of life for us that we connect with God. We talk to God. We don't wait till Sunday morning or even Wednesday. We actually, throughout the day, we talk to God. We ask questions. We read our word. We pray. Maybe we play worship music because we are trying to stay replenished. We're trying to stay restocked and supply because we talked about on Sunday, the economy functions off of supply and demand and cost goes up when there is high demand and low supply. Well, because of the spiritual warfare that we deal with, this is we are in a high demand age. So if your supply is low, what is going to happen? It's going to cost you a lot. And so you have to be in a mindset, a mode and a routine. And this is what I like to tell people. You have to be in this routine when things are good. 
Some people try to get this routine when things are bad only. No, when things are perfect, you still need to be in that refilling, that mind of replenishing, that mind of being locked into God to always being having something fresh. Behold, I will do a new thing because we're in a new year and we're in the first month of a new year. People are thinking this way, but sometimes by the time you get to uh, April and June, people have forgotten. No, we still need to have that mindset. God, I want a freshness. I want to be refilled. I want to be uh, connected to you. I want to be replenished so that I can be what I need to be in these last and evil days. All right, let's uh, move further. and Let's go to point number two. When you go inward, you aren't retreating. You are renewing. So the first thing is replenishing. The second thing is renewing. They're very similar, but we're looking at them in different by looking at different scriptures. And so once again, this is not a retreat. We still are moving forward just because you're going inward doesn't mean you're no longer moving forward. So don't let the devil trick you that the fact that you have to replenish or renew means somehow you've lost ground. No, you haven't lost ground. You're not retreating. You are just getting yourself more ready for the race. It's like the pit stop in the races that we see in both IndyCar and NASCAR. Those are designed for you to pull off to the side, get everything fixed that needs to be fixed, and get back in the race without losing a lot of time. There are people who have been leading in a race. They pull over for the pit stop. They get back out, and they're still in the lead because the pit stop is designed to do things quick. They will change all the tires. They will refuel. They will do what needs to be done on the fly, on the go, and get you back on the road because the goal is for you to win the race. The difference between a pit stop and a rest stop is you stop. And when you stop at a rest stop, there is no timetable of you moving forward again. You just get a rest. And so what we don't want, and we talk about it all the time, the tortoise and the hare, when I tell you to rest, I'm not telling you to rest like the rabbit did and getting uh, so comfortable that he misses the finish line. No, we only want you to rest long enough to have a pit stop, to refuel, replenish, and now here renew. So 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this, therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. So we're getting a glimpse into what happens in the spirit realm and the natural realm simultaneously. It says the outer man wastes away, which is something true of our natural lives. We are dying and decaying. We are actually rotting. We are actually shedding skin. Skin is dying as we age, change. What you are at 20 is not the same as you are at 50. Our joints feel different. Our bones feel different because we are in this fallen world, but this was is not the ultimate. So God doesn't really care about this fallen state because he has something else to come. He has an age to come. This is a temporary age. And we'll we'll see that even in, in what we're uh, reading now. So don't worry about that because the difference is the opposite is going on in your spirit. Your spirit is actually being renewed day by day. Your spirit is actually getting stronger while the outer is getting weaker. So when you have outside forces that are coming at you, 
what we sometimes forget is that they're only hitting the outer self. And so it feels like we're losing because our outward self is getting bombarded. But the truth of the matter is the inner is being renewed day by day. The inner is actually being made better. It is reverse psychology, so to speak. It is op- works in the opposite. And that's what the devil forgets. The devil knows a lot, but he's so prideful he forgets a lot. He forgets that when he's attacking you on the outside, he can't affect you on the inside. So that's why sometimes we go inside. We're not retreating. We're just replenishing and renewing. And what we're doing, we're grabbing strength from the thing that is getting stronger, and we're pulling that even into our outside world. And then when sometimes, when, even when we're going through rough things, we can tell the devil, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Well, how do you have the, the power and the strength to do that? Because I went on the inside, because the inside is being renewed day by day. The Spirit of God is there. Christ's Spirit is actually inside of me. The anointing of God is inside of me. And so I'm not really losing. I'm winning. I'm just winning from the inside out. And it's good sometimes to get attacked on the outside because sometimes it's not until we get challenged on the outside that we actually go inside and realize the strength that is inside there. And sometimes you don't know it until you get attacked. Sometimes you don't know where your umbrella is until it rains. Then you remind, oh, I got an umbrella. Let me go find it. Let me go get it. Because I haven't needed it. I didn't need it until the storm came. But when the storm came, I'm reminded I already have something that will protect me from the storm. I just never use it because I never need it. But when the storm comes, then you find out you already have what you need on the inside. All right. Let's give us more of the verse. Verse 17 now says, for momentary this gives us another clue. Light affliction gives us two clues, producing for us an inter- producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So we're getting to see behind the scenes. So the outer man is wasting away or decaying, but the inner man is being renewed. So that's a clue that we, we learn. But here's something else that we learn that what's happening on the outside is momentary. That's why God doesn't always jump in and rescue us from outside things that we think he should because he knows it's momentary. And then he gives us something else. He says it's affliction, but it's a light affliction. In other words, it doesn't outweigh what God is actually doing in you and through you. So it may not feel light to you, but to him it's light. And he understands it. And here's the thing. The more you grow on the inside, the more you can handle things. And because you can handle things, God understands they're going to be okay. It may feel really heavy to you in the real natural sense, but God understands it's light. They're actually going to grow through this. It's not that heavy for them. And it's actually light. It actually illuminates them. Sometimes the dark times is what actually illuminates you and shows you how strong you are. There are people who are uh, bodybuilding or weightlifting, and in the pain of their initial weightlifting, they don't know that they're actually getting stronger. And so they're lifting weights and like, man, I'm hurting, I'm sore. And then at some point, point, they realize that what I'm lifting no longer gives me any resistance. 
I need to go to a higher level of weight. So while they were hurting and sore, they were actually building themselves to handle more. And now they could raise the level of weight because uh, it was actually light, but they didn't know it was light. So now when they look back on it, they're like, wow, that was light. I started off with 15 pound dumbbells. Now I'm at 50 pounds. And so now when I pick up the 15, it feels so light. But I remember one to 15 used to make me sore. But now they've grown. And so the same thing happens to us, but it happens on the inside. Same thing with, with the body. It happens on the inside. You don't really even know and see how the muscle is being torn and regrown. You only see it when it shows up on the outside. And you're like, wow, my bicep has gotten a little bigger or I can, I can push more weight. It happens internally. All right. And so let's go back here again. Then it says this. So it's momentary. It means it doesn't last forever. Temporary. It's light affliction. It is affliction. We're not going to pretend like it's not affliction. It is affliction. It is trouble, but it's just light. And then it says this. It says it's actually producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So what actually comes forth out of it is producing something that's weighty and heavy. So it's saying the affliction is affliction, but it's actually light. But it's actually producing something in you that's weighty. And it says a, uh, a glory. And the Hebrew word for glory uh, is kabod, which means the weighty presence of God. So many times the things that are happening on the outside is actually causing you to be able to actually invoke and bring the presence of God in. But you had to go through it first. There are certain people that you can get around and they exude the presence of God. In other words, when you get around them, you actually feel something. They change atmospheres. They shift atmospheres. That doesn't just happen easy or by happenstance. Those people have actually been through things, and now they have a weighty glory that, carry, that they carry, and it actually leaks out on the outside. They are overflowing. They've been refilled and infilled so much that they overflow, and it's a weighty presence of God, and it's beyond all comparison. All right, let's go to this. And now this brings it on home for us. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So the trouble that we're going through is seen. I can see it with my natural eyes. You're telling me that I'm actually getting better on the inside, but I can't see that, Pastor Andre. Well, here's the, what the scripture tells us is that the things that are seen are only temporal. In other words, the things that are seen are on the, the lower realm. But the things that are not seen are actually on the higher realm. And what you're doing, you're operating on the higher realm, the higher level. And just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. It's actually happening. And you're actually, what you're actually doing, you're graduating to new levels. And new levels oftentimes bring new devils. And so what happens is you just see trouble after trouble. And it doesn't seem like you're moving or growing or progressing. But actually you are, but you just can't see it. But it's the things that are seen that are temporal, things that are not seen that are eternal. So in other words, the growth that you're experiencing is eternal. The growth is going to last forever. The challenge that you can see is temporal. It won't last forever. Ever. The, ch the way you're challenged today, you won't be challenged that way tomorrow. The way you're grieving today, you won't be grieving tomorrow. 
The way you're broke today, you won't be broke tomorrow. The way you're broken right now, you won't be broken tomorrow because what you see is temporal. And that's what gives us more courage to continue to walk by faith because if we see it all, then we're only seeing that which is temporal. All right, so that leads us here to point number three. When you go inward, you aren't retreating. You are actually realigning. So we went with replenishing and renewing, and both of those are very similar. And now realigning, we're turning a little bit of a corner here. We're shifting things. Because when you go inward, you aren't retreating. You are realigning. So alignment is very important. So that means that you can be out of alignment. And when you're out of alignment, have you ever driven a car that has poor alignment? You can be going down the path, but it pulls you right, left. When your car is properly aligned, it makes the driving experience easy. You don't have to exert a whole lot of effort. When it's poorly aligned, it takes a lot of effort. Just uh, today, my daughter was in the backseat of my car, and I had something in my hand, and I was hitting it, and it was making a sound. And then I asked her, I said, if I'm hitting this with my hands, who's driving the car? Because both of my hands were up doing what I was doing. And she looked, and then I said, I'm driving with my knee. I actually had my knee on the steering wheel. Well, my car has really good alignment at this point. So I really didn't need my hands to go straight. And of course, I couldn't do that forever. Before that period of time, I was able to do it because the car is aligned. It didn't really take much. All I just needed is rest my knee right there to keep it from doing too much because it's properly aligned. When it's not aligned, you have to hold it. You have to be really dedicated. And sometimes our lives are so out of alignment. We're just here and there. One scripture says, toss to and fro from every wind of doctrine. I believe in this one day. I'm believing that one day. I'm way over here this way. I'm way over here. And those type of people are really reckless because they're just all over the place. You don't want to be like that. You want to have alignment. So if you are out of alignment, you don't give up and quit. You get realigned. So sometimes you go inward to realign because the outward can have the tendency to seem like it's pushing you everywhere. So now I got to be realigned. Going back to the uh, example of uh, weights and things, some, some people will talk about not so much you pumping weight, but you working on your core, developing core strength. Because if your core is right, then your balance is correct. And so a lot of people, they don't really need the weight. They need core strength. And so our alignment is making sure our core is right. What are the principles that we have? Here at Deliverance Temple, we try to align us in these four ways of our vision. I try to bring it up to you every time that I talk, if I can, to make sure you are aligned with it. We connect with our creator continually, confess our deliverance consistently, commit to serve creatively, communicate Christ's love compassionately. Those are our four wheels, and we're trying to align them. We align them in that order. As we connect with our creator continually, ultimately we'll get to communicating Christ's love compassionately. But if you're out of alignment, you don't just quit church and say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm no good. No, you just realign. 
Does it make you weak? Does it make you bad? Just means you need adjustments. Sometimes your alignment gets out of alignment because you're doing the right thing. I'm going down the road and I'm supposed to go down, but there was a pothole. The pothole jarred me and now I'm out of alignment. And the pothole wasn't the pothole's fault that it was there. It snowed and they had to put salt so that the salt would cure the ice. But the salt, not only did it cure the ice, it actually ate through the road and created a pothole. So a lot of things happened that caused the car to be that way. And you can't cry over that. You just realign. Well, I was molested. Well, this happened. Well, I made some bad choices. We, I understand all that. But when are you just going to realign? Because we still need you to move forward. So either you can dwell in the past or you can move forward. All you're going to have to do is realign, readjust. All right. So let's go back to what we talked about on. Uh, well, we actually we talked about it really on Sunday. So I'm, I'm going to just share it from my perspective and then give you the definition that Webster's used for, for, for my perspective perspective, excuse me, is hypocrisy is purposely having the outward and the inward not in alignment in order to fool others. So that's when you know you're not aligned, but instead of realigning, you're like, I'll just fool people because it's easier to fake it around people and then really get into what's really going on. And I really have a problem with that. And one of the major reasons I have a problem with that is because we are deliverance temple. So since we're deliverance temple, we are coming with the understanding that you need deliverance, that you have spots, areas in your life that are out of alignment. And the reason why you're comfortable in this church is because you need help. You sometimes still struggle. And that's why part of our vision statement is we confess our deliverance consistently. In other words, no matter what we're going through, we confess that we are delivered, meaning we are going to get over this. We are going to be realigned. We are going to be delivered. We are at Deliverance Temple and we are going to experience deliverance. Our temples will be delivered. It may not happen right away. And that's why we are at a place like this so that over time we can get what we need. So why come to a place like this and then fake it? Why come to a place like this and then choose hypocrisy purposely? So let's look at my definition again for the purpose of this sermon. And then let's look at the Webster's Dix, uh, definition in the Webster Dictionary. So this is what I'm saying, purposely having the outward and the inward not in alignment on purpose to fool others. Here's the real definition. The practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform pretense. In other words, I'm just pretending, but I'll claim that I'm something that I'm not. Purposely, but there's no need. To, there's no need for that. It's a waste of time to use the church to be hypocritical. That's just wasting. You might as well just be a hellion. Why? Why waste that kind of time? Why put the effort in to be at church and to connect and to be in community just to be faking it? It really doesn't make sense. So let's go further. But what happens is this is a real temptation for those who are religious minded. And we'll see because Jesus dealt with them very sternly. So let's look at Matthew seven fifteen. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So there are going to be some people 
in the church context, not in the streets, not in the world, that they look like a sheep, but they're actually a wolf. And Jesus said, beware of them. They do the most type of damage. And so that's why we have to be very vigilant against them. And that's why we said we're turning a corner from just replenishing and, and uh, refreshing and renewing. Now we, get, we really have to align in the way of attacking that which causes us to be out of alignment, especially the things that are going on in us, but even in the things around us that may be hypocritical. Then it goes on to say, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or are figs from thistles? He says, like, they can fake it for so long, but at some point fruit has to come up. And there's some simple things that you understand that a lemon tree is where the lemons are going to come from. The lemons are not going to come from the thorn bush. So at some point you recognize, and, and this is what happens with people. They think they're fooling people, but you recognize them as the thorn bush. And so then they start telling you, hey, I produce lemons all the time. I don't know about that, sir. Don't know about that, ma'am, because that is not the nature of a thorn bush. And the nature of a thorn bush is to produce thorns. And every time I'm around you, I get pricked. So you can keep telling me you produce lemons all the time, but I'm looking at your fruit. I'm looking at what's real in you. And I'm making a decision that <clears throat> I won't be connected with you. There's too much hypocrisy there. You are well within your rights to withdraw from people who are showing hypocrisy. And you will know them by their fruits. Sometimes you may not be able to tell that they're a thorn bush. They've, they've dressed it up too well. But when it comes time for fruit, you always will be able to tell. You're not producing what you said you were going to produce. That goes in a lot of areas. It can go in your dating life. People talk a good game, don't produce. It, it, it can go with business partnerships, people that try to get you to go in business with them. They tell them, oh, I do this, I do that. And then you start seeing little things that just don't line up. Uh, in the three meetings that you've had with me about us doing this, you haven't been on time in none of the three meetings. I've been waiting on you, and you always have an excuse. Maybe I shouldn't go in business with you because something about your fruit doesn't seem to line up with your words. And the church is bad about promising up here, but then delivering down here. Uh, -uh. I need you to promise here and then over-deliver. Don't under-deliver, over-deliver. And if you can't deliver, just be honest. I can't. I'm going to try but I can't. I'm not going to make you any promises. I love an honest person because there's no hypocrisy there. All right, let's move forward further. Verse 17. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but diseased trees bear bad fruit. There's no simple way to get around that. It is what it is. Bad trees, bad fruit good trees, good fruit. All right, let's, let's go further. Matthew 23, 25, 28. So now Jesus really locates. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Problem was, these were the religious people. These were the people who should have known better. These were the people in leadership. These were the people who were looking down on the other folk. These were the people who were calling other people sinners and were supposed to be the ones who knew the word and knew things and Jesus said, y'all the worst of the bunch. 
And so I'm trying to raise up leaders. And what I'm trying to tell you that as we try to grow into leaders, let's leave the hypocrisy behind because we're trying to really reach people. And if we're going to be fake and phony, how are we really going to reach people? Because people want that which is real. All right, let's look at this next verse. You blind Pharisees. Actually, I didn't finish the first part. Let's go backwards. Woe to you, scribe and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. So you work a lot on projecting on the outside. You have the right garments on. You got the right suit on. You know the right scriptures. But on the inside, you got a bunch of stuff going on, and you know you have it going on, and you don't plan on changing it because you've got such a good facade on the outside that you can fool people. And Jesus said, I I see straight through that. Then he goes on to say, you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Now, what Jesus did not say, and we're going to look at it side by side, what he didn't say is you're wrong for having dirt on the inside. Jesus recognizes that sometimes that happens because you're human. You're living in the fallen world. But he says how you do it, you don't fake the funk on the outside. What you actually do, you actually clean the inside. You actually go inward and work on the inside, which means you have to be honest that there's some dirt in there. There's some stuff in there. There's lust. There's anger. There's trauma. There's whatever it is. And then you allow that to be clean. You expose it. You open it up. And what he says, what happens is that actually is what cleans the outside. So I say this all the time. God is the only surgeon that can work from the inside out. Every other surgeon has to work from the outside in. They have to open you up from the outside and go inside to fix you. God can come inside and stay inside and work on the outside and fix you. So if you have something going on on the inside that's not right, on in, inward, you are out of alignment, <laughs> you, you don't really worry about it. You say, okay, God, come fix it. You acknowledge it. You say it's out of alignment. And so let's look at that verse one more time. First, clean the inside of the cup. He didn't say cry because it was dirty. He didn't say you're wrong because it's dirty. He just said, just just work on it. Clean it and the plate and the outside also may be clean. He was making this example because they had what they called ceremonial washing and they were talking about the disciples not doing the ceremonial washing. So he used this example to talk about their inward self. They were focused on the wrong things. Then he goes on to say this. Let's make sure we're in the right verse here. Okay, verse 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. He really became very clear and really very harsh. He said, basically, you're just like a pretty casket. But at the end of the day, the casket is holding death. And so it said, so now the difference in a real casket is we understand that. We understand that we're putting a loved one there and that uh, we, we, we want them to go off in the best way. And we understand that what the process of the body will do. What Jesus was saying is you are walking around with pretense. In other words, you look like a walking casket and everybody knows on the inside is death there. 
It's not like the funeral where you're doing it for a specific person to honor. It's like you're trying to pretend. And in other words, what he's saying, you're so bad at pretending that you think you are this grand, great Pharisee, this great leader. But to the regular common people, you just look like a walking casket. In other words, you look like the walking dead. You look like a zombie. But in your mind, you're just so clean, you're pristine. In other words, we see right through you. And that's the problem with those. Some people dabble in hypocrisy and then they get it right. Other people, they stay in it so long that it becomes clear to everybody that they are a hypocrite and they don't know it. They're the last to know that everybody knows you're not who you say you are. And Jesus was calling them out because they were supposed to be the leaders. The, the lay people and the sinner and the broken people, it was those people who knew the word and they were supposed to be able to share the word with them, but they were so jacked up and caught up. And a lot of it had to do with uh, the, the Roman rule and how they were getting money to just keep things status quo. It, it was just really messed up in that time. And it bothered Jesus to his core because those are the ones who should have been the ones bringing people in. So in our day and age, it's the church. If the church is the worst of the bunch, then we are doing a great disservice. So that's why sometimes we have to talk about us. The Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. Don't worry about what's going out in the world. And I get really tired of hearing people talk about, well, the transgenders and the homosexuals and the weed smokers and all that. God says, listen, worry about what's going on in the house. Don't worry about them. They are lost. So they're going to do what lost people do. You have the light. But if you have the light and you're lost, that's when the real problem is. All right. So that brings us to this next verse here. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And at that point, they were still able to fool some of the others. But Jesus knew who they really were. All right. That's going to lead us to this one here. So when you go inward, you aren't retreating, you are rejoicing. So we talked about the rough one, which is the realigning. But if you have been replenished, renewed and realigned, then you have reason to rejoice. You're in a place in a space of rejoicing. So let's look at this verse here. Psalms 35, 9. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. This is what's really beautiful is remember, salvation is not just the idea that, that I get to go to heaven. That's not the fullness of salvation. Even the word salvation, when you look at it in the Greek, is the word soteria, which means healing, preservation, safety, soundness, prosperity. In other words, it covers the full gambit of life, which also covers the gambit of your mistakes. So I rejoice that even when I made mistakes, his salvation was there to clean up the mistakes. I didn't have to be a hypocrite and lie and fake <coughs> and be phony. All I had to do was apply what he had, the blood, to wash me, and he cleansed me. I'm not who I used to be. I'm not who I was. I've developed, and there's times that I've developed and then slipped back, and God has still been able to 
Help Me. There's a shirt that I've been wearing a lot lately that talks about God as a God of second chances. And when I put it on, it reminds me of how I have been delivered and slipped back and been delivered again. God is so good. So that gives me a reason to rejoice. When I come in here on Sunday morning, I'm rejoicing. I'm not always rejoicing because I've done everything right. Sometimes I'm rejoicing because I made mistakes and God has still preserved me and kept me and held me together. I'm rejoicing because his salvation is greater than me being perfect. His salvation doesn't need my perfection. His salvation is so perfect. All I have to do is just accept it. So that's a reason to rejoice. And then here in Isaiah says, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So salvation is deeper than even what I thought. I can pull more and more out of it. In other words, I've been saved year after year after year. Isn't it boring? No, it didn't have to be boring because there's a well. There's depths in there. And I can keep drawing from within new things in my salvation. All right. Here it says, he that believeth on me. As the scripture have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So how do I get saved? I get saved by believing him and calling on the name of the Lord. Well, as I maintain that belief, it brings a depth of living water. So not only am I a well, do I have a well in there, but that well is bubbling over. It's living water. And so what that means, living water always brings life. Water itself is always brings life, but he adds something on top of it, living water, which means it's not just natural water. It's a supernatural water that is living and it will flow out of us. Well, what will it flow to? It'll flow to our deserts. It'll flow to our wilderness. It'll flow to the things that need to be uh, to grow. It'll give life to things need to grow, but also will give us a drink when we need a drink. When we get in a hot place, it'll give us refreshing. In other words, we have what we need on the inside. All right. Then here, verse 39, which piggybacks off of verse 38. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified, which means Jesus had not yet been crucified. They call his death glorification. They didn't know it at the time, but Jesus knew it, that it was actually a glorification because it was going to open this up for the whole entire world. So when he spoke this, he spoke it to people who were not going to get the fullness of it until he died. But when we read it, he's already died. So we have right now rivers of living water on the inside of us right now. You don't have to beg for it. You don't have to ask for it. You, when you believed in his spirit came in, it came with that well of salvation. It came with rivers of living water. And so there's no need for us to fake it when we can go in and have the springs, that springs of eternal life on the inside of us. It's a beautiful thing. All right. So 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10 says it this way. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of the man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him problem with this verse is people only stop with this verse and they talk about how wow i haven't seen and so many times they they're thinking of heaven but that wasn't the context of this verse no there are some things that we should have right now we're not putting everything off to heaven god is it, uh, that that idea is actually backwards god has always been trying to bring heaven to earth to bring a uniting so we're not putting things off to heaven he's trying to bring some heavenly things to us 
because I don't need my debt taken care of in heaven, there won't be any debt. I don't need my pain taken care of in heaven. There won't be any pain. If I got pain and debt, I need that taken care of now. So God wants to usher that to us now. So he says, I haven't seen an ear, haven't heard, but there's more to the verse. Here's the rest of the verse. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all the things, yea, the deep things of God. So this is what it's saying is that we have a spirit, but our spirit, when we accept God, God's spirit comes into our spirit. But God's spirit has searched the deep things of God. So what it's bringing with them, it's bringing all the depth of God. So in other words, there are going to be things you're going to run into that you're not going to have an answer for. But the spirit, because it's so deep, it's already going to have it implanted in you. And you're not going to know you need it until you need it. And then you're going to reach inside it and it's going to be there. It's like, wow, I didn't know it was there. I like, I, like, uh, like a scripture. I've never understood this scripture like this before. But it was there when you needed it. And you've seen it in a deeper way just when you needed it. But it was there through the spirit. And the spirit brought it to you the moment you said yes to God. His spirit came in. But we haven't searched the fullness of his spirit. In other words, the rest of our life, we get to see the fullness of his spirit. So it's a beautiful thing. So going inward is actually a beautiful, wonderful thing. So let's summarize it this way. The path inward enables us to tackle the path forward. So if the path forward has some uh, uncertainty, it's some fear, it's okay, we have the path forward, but then we also have the path inward. And both of those will help us to move forward. So, the path inward. All right, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. We love you and we appreciate you. We magnify you for all that you are. God, thank you for this study. Help us to go inside, grab what we need so we can be what we need in the time that we need. We are rivers of living water, and we thank you for the refreshing, the times of refreshing from the Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So God bless you. We want you to have a wonderful and a prosperous week. We thank you for all things that are happening in your life, everything that God is doing to you, for you, and in you. I'm signing off, and I will see you Sunday morning or Wednesday. See you soon. God bless you.